The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. That I am really excited about what we're doing in Advent. I mean really excited. Uh, and uh, as we look to that, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament and it's on the Pew Bible on page 222. Uh, it's just after the book of Judges. Uh, so wherever you are and whatever copy of the Bible that you have, uh, please do open to Ruth. Ruth is a delightful little book, and we'll be spending the season of Advent uh, in this great little story. Well, as you're turning there, I remember as a college student and also as a graduate student, the, the welcomed reprieve that Thanksgiving break is towards the end of the semester in anticipation of fall finals and all the rest, how good it is to come home for Thanksgiving. So I hope that uh, you and your family gather together and you experience the joy of having people around your table who perhaps aren't there at other times during the year, whether they're out-of-town guests or your college students that have come home, whatever it is, it's a joy to come home. And that's a really interesting point, actually, about the book of Ruth because life is really a, a bunch of repetitions of leaving and coming back, isn't it? Throughout your whole life. Go to school, and you come home. Go to the playground, you come home, you go do your activities, you come home. Think about your life. You go to work, you come home. Maybe you go on vacation, you come home. There is this rhythm to life of a going and coming. Going and coming is life. And in the book of Ruth, we will see one family's experience of going and coming of going away and coming home, except uh, maybe perhaps like some of your stories, it's a very painful story. Uh, there is a lot of pain in the going and coming. This is a painful story in search of relief because both the leaving and the returning are filled with sorrow, but uh, Ruth is a perfect book to spend time in the season of Advent because it is all about what God is doing to bring hope into the midst of darkness and peace in the midst of distress as we see this family experiencing the turmoils of life in the going and coming and the wonderful power of God's grace. So what a delightful story we're about to read. So as you look to the scriptures, let us pray, and we will be in Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Father, we pause now and we say how deeply we love your word and how deeply we love you, how faithful you are, how kind, how gracious, and how thankful we are, Lord, to have a Bible that can teach us about who you are and to teach us the ways in which you have worked throughout history. Lord, we are a people who need to learn to trust you. We are a people who struggle, who so often fail. Lord, we are a people discouraged. And so, through the power of your word this morning, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts, and that you would illuminate our minds to receive what you have given for us, that we might confess you as our God. And so, Lord, bless your word this morning and all who hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of God from Ruth in chapter 1. 
In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God abides forever and ever. So I encourage you to keep your Bible open in Ruth in chapter 1. Because uh, this is a small book, 
It's a book that's often overlooked. It's a book that's easy to miss as you just flip through the pages of the scriptures. And yet, this small book of four chapters uh, tells such a wonderful story. It describes the history of this one family and how one family's experiences intersect the purposes of God to bring salvation into the world to reveal Jesus Christ. All of our families have stories. And all of our families have stories of heartbreak. We have stories of joys. And it is in the midst of the ordinary life where we experience the pains and the sorrows and the joys and all the rest that we see that we have a God who is at work in the midst of our lives. And this story reveals that to us. Ruth focuses like a microscope on what God is doing to fulfill his covenant promises to Israel and to all the world through one family. In the book of Ruth, we are reminded that God is the sovereign Lord of history who directs all things to their intended purposes and especially toward the purpose of revealing Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth shows us how wise God is. The book of Ruth will teach us to trust in God's sovereign hand. Uh, There is a hymn that's great in the Reformed tradition that we don't sing necessarily in this church, and I wish that we did. It's by William Cooper, and it says that God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storms. And Cooper uses this metaphor of God planting his footsteps in the midst of the stormy waves as a way of explaining that God is moving. And yet when we are experiencing suffering and difficulty and trials and the storms of life, when God plants his footsteps in the sea, they don't leave a trace. And it's oftentimes difficult for us to know what God is doing when in our lives we feel a weight of sorrow or suffering perhaps, God's movements seemingly become invisible and his mysterious providence are so often unknown to, it, known to us and that's why we must learn to trust him when we don't know what he's doing. To trust him when we don't see the path forward that he's calling us on and the scriptures provide the evidence for why he's trustworthy even in the midst of the storms. Everything in the Bible is saying to you, look, look what I've done. Look at my faithfulness. You can trust me too. Look what I've done in the past. Surely I am wise enough to lead you. God is saying in all the Bible, trust me. And he says that emphatically in the book of Ruth. This morning, I want us to see how through chapter 1, we move through three different scenes of a story of this family. Scene 1 is in verses 1 to 5, and it describes the journey that this family goes on. The second scene is really the majority of the text here. The second scene is in verse 6 through 18. That happens a decade or so after the first scene. And then the third scene is in verses 19 to 22. So there's three scenes here as a family moves away from Bethlehem and then back to it. So, scene one. 
in verses 1 to 5. We're introduced here to a small family, and we learn of their suffering and their missteps and the disastrous consequences that flow from their disobedience, but we'll also see the working hand of God's providence in the midst of their sorrows. The opening words in verse 1 set this scene for a timetable, telling us that these things happened in the days when the judges ruled in Israel, which is a span of about 200 years between 1250 and 1050 B.C., Now, the previous book of the Bible is the book of Judges, which is what that opening verse is referring to, which was a season of Israel's history before they had a king when there was this cycle of God raising up a judge to rule over Israel. But the book of Judges is like this cyclical pattern where a judge is raised up, there seems to be promise, but they fail and the people are led further into disobedience. And that's represented here, the the idea of struggle and disunity and spiritual decline it's represented also in verse one because we read that there was a famine in the land a famine has come to the promised land of israel that land that god said was to be a land flowing with milk and honey and it's even come to the city of bethlehem the the name bethlehem literally means house of bread there is an empty bread basket In Bethlehem, no food even in the house of bread. And these details should begin to alert us to what is going on, not just physically in Bethlehem, but spiritually as well. Because God made a covenant with his people and told them that there are blessings for obedience, but there are likewise curses for disobedience. There were curses that include what God would do to the land if his people would stray away from him and to the food supply. And when you see famine in the scriptures, it is an indication not necessarily just of an agricultural disaster, though it would be, but more it is a spiritual disaster as well to say that the people are drifting away from God and they need to repent and come back. That was true of the whole nation of Israel. But like I said, here you have this microscope because nations are made of families. And one family's experience of this trial is seen here. A man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their sons Malon and Chilion, under the severity of this famine, make a decision to abandon the promised land. They're going to leave. And instead of spiritually turning back to the Lord and trusting in him with faithfulness, they decide to turn their back on the Lord and flee and head to the land of Moab, to the country of Moab. Do you remember Moab? Uh, Moab is that region east of the promised land that is populated by the Moabites, who, if you remember from the chapters of Genesis, were populated through the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, produced the Moabite people. The Moabite people are a pagan people who do not worship the one true God. It's east of the promised land, and you have a family of Israel regressing the story of the Old Testament. The story of the Old Testament is the people of God coming into the promised land, and here you see them leaving the promised land crossing the Jordan to leave, going east. Just like Adam, east of the garden, east of the promised land and away from God's presence. And if you notice in verse 1, it's interesting that it says that they just went to sojourn there. They just went to travel, meaning just to go and get some relief from the famine, 
for a little while perhaps, but we're told that they stayed there 10 years. At the end of verse 2, it says they remained there. And in that we see that when we turn our backs on the Lord, we may never intend to do so for very long. But sin and unrighteousness is like a sinkhole. It pulls us in and draws us in, and Elimelech and his family stay far longer than they intended. And the consequences are a disaster. Elimelech leads his family away from the blessing of God rather than toward it. Elimelech's name literally means, my God is king. But he's not behaving in accord with his name. He's behaving in accord with the times because the book of Judges tells us that it was a season when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Let me just pause and say briefly to husbands, fathers, do you know spiritually it's your blessing to lead your family toward the blessing of God rather than away from it? This is very serious. During those 10 years, Naomi finds herself in this personal nightmare. Her husband dies Her two sons, unsurprisingly, take Moabite wives, which would have been a forbidden thing for a faithful Israelite to do. And then we don't know exactly when this happens, but both of her sons die as well. And in verses 1 to 5, I don't want you to escape the the sheer humanity of this image of Naomi. Picture a woman standing by her, her third grave with eyes so weary that she can't even weep anymore because she spent all of her tears already. She's utterly exhausted, bereft, alienated, displaced from her home in this foreign country. You get a sense of what she feels when she speaks in verses 13 and 20 and 21. She feels literally as if God has thrust a knife into her heart and then twisted it to push it deeper. That's Naomi. I wonder how many of us have known the sorrow of crying out to the Lord saying, what are you doing? Tried to be faithful. What are you doing to me and my family? That's Naomi. And it's a bleak picture. It's a seemingly hopeless picture. And that's the point. Into hopelessness, God moves. Scene two picks up this flicker of hope because word has come to Moab that the famine's been lifted in Bethlehem. In verse six, the Lord has visited his people. At that moment, Naomi is like the prodigal son from Luke 15 who had wandered out to the far country and finally realized, I gotta go home. I can't stay here anymore. I'm gonna go back. I'm going to go back to the abundance and delight of my father's house. There's only one thing to do when you realize how much you've blown it. Go back. Return. Repent. It's not just a geographic decision on Naomi's behalf to leave. It's a spiritual decision. She returns to the promised land as an act of returning to the Lord spiritually. It's a picture of repentance. I've wandered away. I've got to go back home. Notice that Naomi doesn't curse God in bitterness. She just simply says, I need to go back. 
And we learn here that her daughter-in-laws are willing to go with her, but some of them only so far. Orpah and Naomi, they're willing to leave their lifelong home in Moab to follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. But along the way, Naomi attempts to send them back in verse 8, telling them, Go return, each of you, to your mother's house. Verse 8. And you, fee- you see this scene. Tears are shed and the girls refuse. And Naomi insists again. Verse 11. No, go back. Don't follow me. She essentially says, look, I don't have time to bear you a son that will be your husband. I don't have time. It's hopeless for you. Go home. You'll have better luck back in Moab. And do you notice the way she says at the end of verse 13? She says to her daughters-in-law, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the Lord has gone out against me. The Lord has gone out against me and it has been bitter to me that it has ruined you. So stay away from me because every time you come near to me, disaster falls. Go away. You see that one daughter-in-law concedes Orpah, but Ruth, Ruth, Ruth clings to Naomi. And right here, at the crossroads between Moab and Bethlehem, you have one of the most dramatic moments of all of the Old Testament. Naomi tries to insist to Ruth that Orpah's made the better choice. So she says to Ruth in verse 15, your sister-in-law, she's in her right mind. Go back with her. She literally says in verse 15 that your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. She's saying to Ruth, Ruth, you don't understand. You're a liability to me. You're a liability to yourself. You're an economic liability. We're widows. Who's going to provide for us? You're a political liability. You're a foreigner. And you want to come back to Bethlehem. You're a social liability because you're an outcast because you're a widow and a foreigner. And more than that, you're a spiritual liability because you're a Moabite. You are a pagan. And perhaps more, most painfully, you're a liability to me because every time I look into your face, I see the sun that I don't have. And knowing all of that, Ruth says in verse 16, make sure you look at it. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Do you see what she's saying? Do you see what she means? She is saying, Naomi, I'm going to put aside all of Moab. And I'm going to put aside the gods of Moab. And I am going to cling to the one true God the God of the covenant. Your God will be my God. I will lay my hope upon the God of the covenant. Do you recognize her words? It's the covenant affirmation. God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And what do we say in our services? He is our God. We are his people. Ruth says, me too. I'm going to follow him. In the words of the Apostle Paul, Ruth is turning from idols to serve the living God. She won't go back with Orpah and serve the gods of Moab because they're no gods at all. She's going to cling to Naomi because she's clinging to Naomi's God, which is now her God. Ruth is converted to true faith 
And we should pause and appreciate this reality here because if we go back to the scene in Moab and find Naomi writhing in pain with all of her grief, who would have thought that in the Lord's purposes he would be bringing a foreigner like Ruth into his kingdom? That through this frowning providence, God is revealing the salvation of his covenant to Ruth. William Cooper's hymn also says, Trust not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And Ruth here makes one of the most emotionally moving statements in all the Old Testament. And Naomi says, nothing. Verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And maybe they travel the rest of the way in silence. Either way, this second scene closes with this silent picture of two women making their way to Bethlehem, one returning home and the other a stranger going to a strange land, but a stranger who is no longer a stranger to the grace of God. And then the closing scene in Bethlehem is that Naomi is almost unrecognizable as she comes back into Bethlehem and the people wonder, is that, is that her? In verse 19, she's a shell of herself. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore, a name which literally means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Bitterness is not just what I feel, it's who I am. I left full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And she's come back with her daughter-in-law. But still she says, I've got nothing. I went away and God punished me for it. That's how Naomi sees it. And the Lord has brought calamity upon me. It's a bleak picture. But into the bleakness of this picture of sin and its consequences, God is at work. You see that closing detail in chapter 1. That the barley harvest has come to Bethlehem. A signal that God is on the cusp of restoring, that the famine is over and there is a harvest. The time of reaping has come and hope is breaking into Naomi's story. And I know you and I need hope to break into our stories as well. No matter what we face, no matter what season of life we're in, hope breaks in in the power of Jesus' name. And Ruth is designed to teach us, dear friends, that there is no point there is no time there is no season of your life that the almighty god is not at work skillfully oftentimes in ways unseen by us and not understood but skillfully still to bring about his purposes to direct all things for your everlasting good this is a going away and a coming back story the book of Ruth, but the whole Bible is a going away and a coming back story about a human race that goes away from God and God's great plan to bring salvation to them. And the reason why we spend Advent in Ruth is because it brings us to Bethlehem. God brings Naomi home to Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, that city of the young shepherd boy David who will be king. In Bethlehem, that city in which the second person of the Trinity condescended from heaven's throne assumes human flesh to bring hope into the midst of our stories. That's what Ruth is all about. The book of Ruth, just like the gospel, calls us home. Come home to the God who loves you. Come home to the God who made you. 
Come home to the God who can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest needs. Whether you're like Naomi, you come back empty, you come back with small expectations, come back bitter if you have to, but the gospel says come back. Whether you've been gone 10 years like Naomi or whether you've been gone a year, a month, a day, any time is too long. And the gospel says, come home. Come home to the God of grace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we, we delight in the truth of your gospel and the promise it brings to us. Lord, how unspeakable is the wisdom of your providence and in so many ways unseen by us. And so, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you even when it goes against our natural senses for you are a God of grace. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts now to receive that sign of your grace and the covenant promise of your Son, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.